Episode 5 of Inside the Pod, I got to interview Sasha Nathan. Sasha is the brains and chef behind the Instagram page, Just a Hangry Girl. In this episode, Sasha talked to me about how she launched her brand, how it has developed over lockdown and loads more. I really hope you enjoyed the conversation just as much as I did. Okay, hello Sasha. Welcome to Inside the Pod. How are you and how has lockdown been for you? Hi Alex. Yeah, I'm all good, thank you. Lockdown has been a weird one, I won't lie. Um, My life really changed quite dramatically from the beginning of lockdown. So since then it's just been quite a large adjustment, figuring everything kind of out and knowing what I'm doing and yeah but overall it's not been too bad that's good so you are somebody who has a really cool Instagram account and you're also and you're also at the moment kind of letting people take advantage of that and in a way being a chef sending out food to loads of people and that is really cool take me way back what made you all did you always want to work in the food industry Um, So I'd say like growing up, food was definitely my main interest. My Mm -hmm. dad kind of trained to be a chef before he went into accountancy. Grandma was a caterer. So food has always been very prevalent in my life and preparing food and all of that. Um, When I was like 17, like doing A-levels, wasn't really sure what I wanted to do past school. I really thought I'd probably want to go into culinary school. Um, I got sent by my dad into some of London's top restaurants, kitchens, to try and convince me that that was not the path I wanted to go down. Kind of had the opposite effect (laughs) because he thought I'd hate long hours and doing like scut work and all of that, but I actually really loved it. Um, However, between all of us kind of decided the normal university route would probably be best as like a backup. And then once I was a bit older and a bit more mature and whatever, figure out, do I want to go down a more traditional path or do I want to go down like a food based path? Mm -hmm. So I did. I ended up doing international media and communications at uni. Didn't love it. Didn't hate it. As a university experience, like I kind of I probably needed to have moved out of the house and made new friends and all of that which I wouldn't have gotten if I had gone straight into kitchens yeah um so once I was finishing graduating I had done a internship at a catering company more in their office department rather than their kitchens but I did spend a couple weeks in the kitchens yeah and it helped me to realize like what kind of career I would want if it was food-based And I kind of came to the conclusion that restaurant, like if I was wanting to be a chef in a restaurant, I probably should have started way back when I was 16 Mm -hmm. because the prospect of being 22 and having to work from like three in the morning until God knows what time just like really didn't work for me now that all of my friends were just in more traditional jobs. Um, And I found from the catering side that, Catering can get quite repetitive in terms of an event style format. So you've got the same, a similar menu every week. And that just was stunting creativity, in my opinion. 
Um, so that's not, I don't really know what I wanted to do on the food side, but at university, because my coursework was su- such low hours, I had mm. started my Instagram account called Just a Hangry Girl. And it's kind of like where I got to create, cre- be creative and express like my love of food through recipes and help others learn to love cooking because I found myself surrounded by 20 something year olds not loving cooking being away from home for the first time and just making like salmon stir fry every single night and to me that's quite like depressing the like lowest form of depression of course (laughs) but um so I kind of I, I enjoyed like helping people my age learn about cooking and learn that like not everything is as intimidating as it may seem and you don't need every utensil you don't need every spice but you can like make really great dishes without it being super complicated um yeah and then I ended up keeping that as like a side project um and going into events for an event company for nearly two years and then unfortunately at the very start of the pandemic literally day one of the pandemic yeah I was made redundant And that kind of forced me to look at what was next. Obviously, I didn't expect to be made redundant at that point. I didn't really know anyone my age that had been made redundant before. Obviously, because of the situation we were in, it wasn't too uncommon. However, most people did get a period of furlough before redundancies, which I unfortunately did not. So it was quite like a jolting experience to one day just be going about life having a job and my job was nine till six every day plus events all weekend long so I my whole life in essence which is probably a bad thing looking back on it was my job so for it to suddenly disappear and then to also have to be like locked into your house Mm -hmm. for an unknown amount of time was quite um, an experience but because of that I leaned more into just a hangry girl I had obviously so much spare time that I was being more creative and had more time to spend on exploring different foods so a big passion of mine which I think a lot of people went through with lockdown was sourdough which is a type of bread and through that I just kept on cooking food everyone else in my family was still doing their nine to five jobs at home so I was the one in charge of lunches dinners making sure like everything was okay and obviously with food shortages and supermarkets I just Mm. that was kind of like my responsibility I took on kind of like let's say the housewife role essentially (laughs) if you want to look at it that way in terms of food definitely not with the cleaning um but Yeah, so because of that, I started noticing that, and in the past I had done small dinner parties for people that I knew, um, but it was very rough and ready, very low key. Um, Mm. And I started noticing that in this unknown period of time, people did not want to be cooking for themselves every single night, especially people that are like mums that want something that aren't lovers of the kitchen but are the responsibility of dinner is put on them yeah and also people having birthdays in lockdown and where 
they would usually just go out for dinner they wanted to make it even more special because you couldn't do anything couldn't even see your friends so I came up with the catering concept of just a hangry girl which was based upon the fact that no one's meeting with probably more than about six people like families usually are not more than six people so everything was kind of based on a meal for two slash four slash six people and it was all about the most minimal amount of effort from your side while still ensuring like a restaurant quality meal and also the fact that we only used kosher meat and the kitchens and meat and milk separate was obviously quite a big draw for a lot of people because limited there are limited restaurants that were offering takeaway that was kosher and obviously kosher cuisine is something that is very much needed by the people in North West London so that's kind of how it all came about. Thank you so much I thought I, I love that because I was like that I found that so interesting yeah so go back a second so then you started you launched your Just a Hangry Girl official menu etc just as kind of this midway through lockdown and all of and people are did people automatically start buying it and stuff like that or was there a wait kind of um so because I'd been more active upon the Instagram page I had about I think a thousand one thousand five hundred followers at the time a lot of which mm. were based in northwest London yeah so a lot were my target audience and I had throughout I kind of decided at the end of April that I wanted to sort of give this a go and we were ready to launch by the end of May. So for that whole month, I had been teasing it on Instagram and doing like smaller things, just like selling some brownies, whatever, just to get people aware that as much as I want to show you how to make food, I can also sell you food. Um, But I was lucky in the sense that because grandma was a caterer, I had access to a lot of her clients that in the wake of their that company not being available, um, they were interested in buying from me. Um, there's also Facebook groups like the Catering Club and other Instagram pages that supported me. So once the word got out, within a week, we were extremely busy. I want to touch upon something that you said previously, mm-hmm. which was this whole idea about how a lot of the time you'll go to like you'll you'll go you'll read up about these chefs that can cook at home and they have a very standard menu and that menu doesn't normally change whilst you on the other hand have I would say a uh, kind of a menu that changes maybe monthly or kind and it's and it's so cool because you can change it whether it be Halloween you've got a specific menu kind of not a menu but like a box for Halloween and all of those kind of things how important for it was it for you to be as versatile as you are in terms of the catering? And also, where did you learn that skill of cooking all of those different things? And yeah, and it's just so interesting for me to find out that out. Yeah, of course. So the menu itself is varied for a couple of reasons. First being, personally, for me, as the one cooking it, I don't want to be making the same salad all day, every day. Creatively, that's not where... I want to be spending my time. It's not so much fun to just make the same thing over and over. So by making my menu varied, it makes my experience of it being my job more fun so that I can, one day I'm doing Asian, the next day I'm doing Italian and all of that. It Mm -hmm. also, I found 
that when all of these things were popping up in lockdown, because there are a lot of caterers that have come up or a lot of restaurants doing catering services and all of that, a lot of them were cuisine specific. And what I noticed from also being a customer of them, because I want a day off from the kitchen as well, (laughs) is that um, you order once and you probably order quite a lot and you, because you want to try everything from their menu, but you rarely go back because you've tried everything. So what's the point? Like, you know, it tastes good, but there's a hundred other people doing it. So why not try everyone's? Yeah. And for me, as in the business sense, I want something that is your birthday meal, is your weeknight meal, is your lunch with, is your lunch, is your dinner, is everything. And I've tried, I've tried to encompass all of the different needs a person could have through my menu. And then when it comes to like the seasonal specials, it's just something that, again creatively is fun for me to do I enjoy the thinking about okay for Rosh Hashanah okay it's apples it's honey how can you do that in like five different ways and put it in a box and especially last Rosh Hashanah where it was the first time that no one could really celebrate as big families as we were used to Mm. the idea of gifting someone is was a lot more of presence because you physically couldn't be there so things like that were just really interesting to see and look I won't lie not all of them have been super popular yeah it has I always think from a brand perspective as well just to be plugged in into what's going on you know on our Instagram we do TikTok trends and things like that and it's not necessarily relevant to the catering side but as a brand as a whole that's just kind of how I've always wanted to be just more fun and more modern and less serious than quite a lot of the caterers that came before me so there's two things that I want to say to that. Firstly, um, it's such a shout out to your menu. As somebody who is gluten and dairy free, it is really hard to kind of find alternatives sometimes. And Sasha has an incredible, or a lot of her dishes that she does can be made to gluten and dairy free. If I'm, if, Am I correct in that? Yeah, so technically I should be gluten and dairy free, but I seldom listen to that. Um, <laughs> however, because of that, I am aware that there's obviously loads of people that suffer with allergies and dietary requirements, etc. There's also not a lot of people doing it, especially in the kosher space. And I just want flexibility. I hate the idea of you saying, oh, I really want X, Y and Z, but I'm allergic to dairy. And I'm just like, no, go away. Like, bye. Yeah. So that's always been really important to me. For sure. So at what point did it become, did it go from just an Instagram page to a brand? Did that was that when you started to make all these meals for all these different people or did you in your mind always have it as a brand so when I started it it was you know I just kind of thought of the name it was quite on a whim to give my dad credit he was the one that told me to start it mm-hmm. um he did say I should because I it was originally like blogging um and writing up my recipes and writing stories to go with it and then as Instagram, because obviously it started, I think it was back in 2017. Instagram was on the rise, but definitely not as prevalent in society as it is now. Yeah. And since as Instagram has grown, the way in which it, Just a Hangry Girl has evolved has also changed because whereas before it was a lot of, right, you make a post on Instagram and there's a blog to go attached to it. Now it's a lot of recipes in the caption and small anecdotes because we are living in a society where everything is just very fast paced and no one really 
half the people that stumble upon your page aren't even necessarily going to replicate your recipe. It's just something to preoccupy their mind with. So short bites and things like that are definitely um, preferred at the moment. And um, yeah, so it kind of stayed a bit stagnant throughout my university and whilst I was working in events because it was obviously not my priority. And then once I didn't have a job, it came more prevalent in my mind to make it a brand. And when I decided that I wanted to set it up as a catering company, I was very brand focused. Both my mum and my sister are in marketing and PR. So I know the importance of a brand and the importance of brand presence. Um, It was also important to me that if I was going to start like gifting influencers and doing larger things, it needed to look professional and it needed to have the full force of it being like a legitimate business before it even started. Sure. And uh, you know what? I was watching an Instagram recently and they opened up a, and they had, you had these BT boxes that were full of you, all your kind of really cool goods, like cookies and all of those kind of things. And it just looked absolutely incredible. However, the question I want to ask you is, so you make this, so you've made the food, how does it then get to be packaged? Where do you get the packaging from? And does that process take a long time kind of thing? So when I started the like catering side of the business, uh, it was really important to me to find packaging that wasn't, for example, tinfoil dishes. A lot of the caterers, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, that was the initial knowledge that, sorry, that you put everything in tinfoil dishes. That's what we do. But mm. I hate, A, the aesthetic of a tinfoil dish. It's also incredibly unsustainable. And it's just, food doesn't travel as well. It's not great. There's just nothing, there was always just something lacking with it. So I actually spent a lot of the month that I spent creating the catering side was spent on packaging development. And I managed to find a couple of great brands that are, they are sustainable, they're recyclable, they're compostable, and they look as good as they are going to look when it comes to like disposable eating. Um, So all of that was really important. Then with what you were saying with the BT boxes and our semi-recent plate away DIY kits, the packaging for that is a whole separate entity because that goes through like the postal system or through courier. So there's Mm -hmm. a lot more involved because you don't know that they're not going to throw the box around. Obviously you hope they won't, but part of the testing involved for those sorts of things is you literally fill the box up and you throw it against a wall and you see what breaks and what smashes and what leaks and all of that. So that was a whole nother thing. And then when you're doing things that are sent overnight, then you have all of the insulation and the ice packs and all of that. But I was lucky that I partnered with Playtoway with my DIY kit. So they kind of explained all of the logistics around that for me. So I've been able to use that on other projects that Playtoway haven't been involved in. Was Playtoway something that was key? How, how did Playtoway come about? Was it out of the blue? Um, so my sister's friendly with um, the guys that set it up. And I knew about it in just through word of mouth and all of that. But they approached me initially for a Christmas kit because we released a Christmas menu about mid-November. Mm. Because obviously it was looking very likely that Christmases were not going to be with everyone's families, people that are usually on holiday for Christmas, we're going to be at home. People that usually go to friends' houses 
were going to have to suddenly cook their own Christmas meal and they've never cooked a turkey. So that was really important um, to make sure there were options for those people. And Plateway recognised that and approached us to do a DIY kit. Unfortunately, just with timing and everything and infrastructure, it just wasn't possible. However, from that, it started a conversation of, okay, could we do a DIY kit? What would we do a DIY kit of? What would sell? How would it look? What's the offering and all of that? So it just kind of progressed from there. So the, so at the moment, you can get on plate to wait a banging duck pancake, kind of, a whole Asian vibe. And what else can you get on plate to wait through just a hangry girl? Yeah, so we've got our DIY Asian bundle, which is based upon our best-selling Asian bundle, which yeah. is like duck and pancakes, egg fried rice, miso aubergines, slaw, spring rolls. And then you can also have a DIY um, Oreo cookie brownie kit. Whoa, literally drooling, buzzing, absolutely buzzing. So do you cook all those things and then it gets and then it gets sent away? Or is it just prepped? Is everything prepped? Like you cook the vegetables for them or whatever, or you might put the vegetables in a little bit of a like plastic container and then it, we go from there kind of thing. So DIY kits, pretty much everything is like semi-prepped or mm. not prepped at all. So like things like duck and pancakes, I've cut the cucumber and I've cut the spring onion and I've actually cooked the duck and you just reheat it um but like the egg fried rice you get partially cooked rice you get the peas and you get the spring onions and you have to assemble it yourself and it all comes with like lovely illustrated cards that explains how you do it and what I also love about it is that once you've ordered it you have the cards so you could replicate it yourself at another point if that is cool that is very cool I didn't know that and on a so you've set up this amazing brand and through and you've got loads of different celebrities that are brought into it also and you've got Playtoy that has also brought into it and that leads me on to kind of if there is anybody that is starting or looking to set up a business through Instagram is there any one or two top tips that you would give them Yeah, I would say that firstly if you think that there is a gap in the market then just go for it um and I'd say obviously invest in it but don't Mm -hmm. invest in it to the point that if it doesn't pan out you're like thousands of pounds in debt I'm lucky that I had saved for my two years when I was working I'd saved just because that's what I've been taught to do so I invested all my own money into it and I managed to make it back in a very quick amount of time and that was always really important to me to make sure that no one else was putting money into it so that if it failed, unfortunately it failed, but it wasn't on anyone else. And I'd also just say like invest in things like a website, in things like a logo, a brand identity, all of that, because I always, there are other people doing similar things to me on Instagram and I don't know how they do it without a website, without like an ordering system, because that just makes everything a hundred times harder. Um, sure. So definitely invest in all of that. Sure. Um, and now, kind of. So you. So like you just said, a lot of rest. A lot of people who were working restaurants and restaurants themselves have had to adapt massively throughout the pandemic. And the question that leads me up, the question that I then want to ask is kind of. What does it? What does the in your mind? What does the future look like for restaurants, for the restaurant industry post COVID? And do you think people will go back, 
or will it be a slow adjustment? And yeah, where, where are we at with that, do you think? I think definitely, unfortunately, a lot of restaurants haven't been able to survive. And that's a very unfortunate um, byproduct of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. However, those that have been able to survive, I do think that everyone, especially those that are vaccinated, everything will go back to normal pretty quickly. I do think that at the beginning, people were very quick to, you know, be concerned um, that, you know, life would never get back to normal. But once you're given the options, I think very quickly you realise that um, life is, it's easy just to readjust. It wasn't that hard to go back. For sure. For sure. And... So thank you so much for your time interviewing and it's been honestly so lovely getting to know the brand Just a Hangry Girl a little bit more. At the end of all of our recordings, we ask our guests to tell us at the the end of a long day, how do you de-stress? How do you de-stress? Yeah, yeah, I mean, definitely things like just going on a walk, watching tv playing with my dogs just anything that kind of gets me out of the kitchen is definitely important definitely in like the beginning stages of the business it was really hard to separate time away and decompress but as I've started to get my feet more etc um I think that it's just important to make time for yourself and to realize like your job shouldn't be the end all and be all. And it's not everything that is you. Sure. That again, it has been so lovely being able to interview you and getting to know the brand a little bit more. And how can people reach out to the brand and how can they order if they want to order? Yeah, of course. So our Instagram is at just a hangry girl. Our website is just a hangry girl.com. Um, that's pretty much got everything on there, our order form, our menu. Um, yeah, that's pretty much how you find us. Thank you so much. Keep Pleasure. Up. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you so much for checking out Inside the Pod. We will be back at the same time next week with, with our next guest. Please do not forget to like our Instagram page, inside underscore the pod podcast. And also remember, any conversation is possible when he stepped inside the pod.